Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to the Progress Series, where we discuss scientific principles for optimising human performance. I am Dr Phil Price, and on today's episode, we are joined by British Olympic weightlifter and world and European silver medalist, Sarah Davies. Weightlifting is a sport that takes years of dedication to master the craft of the skills of weightlifting and also develop the necessary strength to move heavy loads quickly. In this episode, Sarah takes us through her weightlifting journey, which has culminated in competing at the Tokyo Olympics and achieving a silver medal at the World and European Championships in 2021. And seriously, she is just getting started. Here she details what training has led to her success, how she breaks down learning the skills of weightlifting and how maybe training for a max lift every time you train in weightlifting might not be the best for your development. But before we get into the episode, I just want to tell you a little bit about our sponsors because without them, this podcast would not be possible. I wanted to express my gratitude to my production partner, Cult Media. Cult Media has been instrumental in the development and success of the Progress Theory. They have created brand guides, comprehensive podcast strategies, enhanced the podcast production, developed custom workflows for me, and edited and mixed all of the video, audio, and social media content. Cult Media's simple coach, create, and collaborate process has saved me hundreds of hours in podcast production, resolved countless technical issues, and consistently helped me to improve my podcasting game. So if you want to establish and engage your audience or are ready to launch your own podcast, head to www.cult.media, that's cult with a K, to learn more. Also, thank you to Human24, fueling human potential and optimizing everyday human performance and well-being. The supplement range at Human24 not only helps improve your lifestyle, it optimizes it. The Human24 products are designed to fit around your circadian rhythms from the moment you wake up to key moments in the day when you need optimal focus to getting the best night's sleep. There is a product to optimize each phase of the day. My personal favorite is the Live On Form Pack, consisting of the products Rise, Flow, and Pre-Sleep. Rise is for the morning, and it's my absolute favorite. It's a drink that tastes amazing, it hydrates me, and improves my focus to win the morning. At 2 p.m., I take Flow, which is a caffeine-free nootropic, perfect for improving alertness and concentration during that mid-afternoon slump. And finally, I take pre-sleep just before bed, which is a comprehensive nighttime complex, perfect to support a performance-driven lifestyle. Check out the website www.hmn24.com for all their products, articles, and links to their awesome podcast for those wanting to learn more about human performance. You can even check out the episode I did with them. I thoroughly enjoyed my chat with Phil Lerney, co-founder of Human24, and it has led to an awesome collaboration with Human24 supporting the progress theory. 
If you want a 10% discount on all Human24 products, head to their website via the links in our Instagram bios of The Progress Theory or my personal Instagram account at Dr. Phil Price or use the code PhilPrice at checkout. As always, follow The Progress Theory on Instagram, YouTube, head to our website, theprogresstheory.com and check out all of our other episodes. Here is Sarah Davis. Sarah, how are we? Uh, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. First of all, I really wanted to start off this episode by saying congratulations for your silver medal at the Worlds. Thank you very much. (laughs) What was the experience like? Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, the world seemed so close off the back of Tokyo because I had some time off after Tokyo, obviously, and decompressed and then to get back into training. So, I mean, my one goal for Worlds was literally to go out there and remember how to have fun on a platform. And we ended up with that result. So I can't complain, really. And we had loads of fun out there as well. So we achieved everything and more than what we wanted to. Yeah. Is that something you're going to take further onto other competitions? You know, you can get so caught up in the coaching and the science, but then you forget just to have fun on the floor. And it's kind of like that's the the last flavour which is going to really help with the success. Yeah, definitely. And I think because of the build-up to Tokyo ended up so long with the delay, you're mm. constantly thinking about what totals you need to hit, what points you need to get, where you are in the rankings, like what numbers you need to do at whatever competition to get you know, everything you need to secure your spot that you get so caught up in that that you forget that you actually do this because you enjoy doing it because you're constantly reaching for that goal. But I think, you know, especially when it's your first Olympics that you're aiming for, like it just makes it that little bit tougher. And then obviously when you're in Tokyo and I was there, it was it was different again. Like I knew a medal was possible and I reflect on that now and I was probably too caught up in that rather than, enjoying the experience and having fun and being an Olympic Games so yeah I think that's definitely something that I learned off the back of that Tokyo qualification and off the back of the games was to remember to have fun out there and you know it is something that I do for fun you know Mm. yes it, it makes me a living in some capacity but at the end of the day it's the whole reason I fell in love with it and it's just was to remember that and to get out there and to just enjoy doing what I do and you know being up there with some of the best in the world. Yeah. Were there a lot of the same competitors at the Worlds as there was in Tokyo, being so close to each other? So I competed in a different weight class at the World Championships to what I did at um, Tokyo. So my plan was always to move up after Tokyo, but obviously the the delay meant it was even longer. And, you know, it's probably part of the the problem with Tokyo. It was I was so lean to be a comp weight for the 64 kilo class that um, my body was was ready to move up. So the class I competed at Worlds was a 71 kilo class, which wasn't an Olympic class, which meant we had no idea really who was going to turn up in that class because people had avoided it in qualification because it didn't count for anything for Tokyo. So we weren't sure who was going to come up, who was going to come back down. But, you know, the girls that I shared the podium with are, are two girls that I've known for a long time and have been a part of my weightlifting journey in some capacity. The Swedish girl, I used to compete against her and then she moved up. So we've not competed against each other for a long time. And to be up on a podium with people that you consider like friends was phenomenal. Yeah. Is there good camaraderie within the weightlifting community, like even between countries? You know, you have some 
some sports just have a really, you can really see it when you watch it on TV. For some reason, strongman always comes across as everyone's there having fun. Everyone really likes each other. Is it kind of similar for weightlifting? Yeah, I mean, strongman's a whole new level of sportsmanship. <laughs> Those boys are a proper brotherhood. Known a few of them, yeah. they, they're phenomenal. But um, in weightlifting, it's it's selective around countries. Like you get camaraderie of certain countries together. Probably what you'd call quote unquote clean countries kind of <laughs> stick together. So you know that you know us, the the US, Western Europe, Oceania kind of countries. You mm. know we've got some some good friendships across some of those countries, which which is great to all kind of stick together and, and stand up for it together. So, No, that's, that sounds wicked. You get, the sport always progresses better, it seems, when there's a really good camaraderie within the athletes and within the coaches. It seems to move the sport forward really well, I think. So it's really good to hear. How did you, how did you get into weightlifting originally? Did you play any other sports before you got into weightlifting? So I was a gymnast as a kid, quite a high level and stopped that at about 14 for multiple reasons and then didn't really do anything. I kind of dabbled in a few things between then and starting weightlifting. I played golf to a reasonable level. I played for my county mm-hmm. and then That's cool. went to university, ended up dabbling again in gymnastics. But obviously at like 18, it's too late to do anything of any significance. And from there, I then found weightlifting. Like in those days, I used to find weightlifting by accident. No one ever used to go out seeking to start weightlifting. I went to university in Leeds, which is where our national program were based ahead of 2012. So the, the national center was at my university. And yeah, I kind of fell into it. And it turns out I was quite good at it. So uh, I stuck at it for something to do because I developed a bit of a, a student freshers drinking bod. But what I call skinny fat, like just a little bit of a drinking belly and needed something to do to to get me back in shape. And I probably never found anything I loved as much as gymnastics until that point. The challenge of weightlifting and also with it being so measurable, I think is what appealed to me. Like you can literally see that you're getting better because you're lifting more weight. And obviously it got me back into some sort of athletic looking shape, which is the body I was used to seeing. And yeah, so that was September 2011, and here I am 10 years later. So wow. Funny to say that because I was at the weightlifting university champs 2012 in Leeds. I think I May or March. I'm not sure. You were there. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. when I ruptured my ACL on the, on the platform. Wait, hang on a minute. So I was, there was two platforms running at the same time. And I yeah. think I was at the same time as this because the whole competition stopped as I was about to go out for a lift. This is like my second, no, third ever competition. And the whole competition stopped and like there was all this stuff going on and I'm like, can I take my lift? Can I not? And it threw out my timing. And now I know it was you. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was me. My me completely gave way. Yeah, it was an ACL rupture. And that's when I... I don't know if you remember, they got one of those really crappy um, plastic stretchers that you usually have on the side of swimming pools. And I was about 101 kilos at the time and I had about seven people trying to carry me out. And then they tried to get me to a place which was where the, the ambulance could get to me. But they just dumped me on the floor on the grass with no ambulance there. And then everything just carried on as normal. But um, I'm sorry if I threw you off. Uh, it was not my intention for my knee to completely go, but it sent a cascade of, uh, <laughs> that's quite funny. Because I, I knew you were training in Leeds originally and I thought, oh, were you there? I didn't know if you'd started weightlifting by then. But yeah, it's funny yeah, that we so were competing at the same com- competition. My You've gone competition. on to be amazing at weightlifting. I've <laughs> gone on to be 
not amazing. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah. Oh, that's cool. brilliant. What was it like when you just started out? So you, you come from a gymnast background. And I know at that time there were some talent ID organizations where they were looking for certain athletes, but they did tend to focus on gymnasts. Did you find that you picked up the sport quite quickly because you had good movement patterns and body awareness from all that time that you, you know, trained in gymnastics? Yeah, I think I kind of joke about it. If I ever have children, they're going to go to gymnastics for some period of time Mm. just because it builds such good, like, body awareness. And in terms of transfer to weightlifting, you've got flexibility, which I think is underrated in weightlifting. People don't realize how flexible you need to be. And then obviously the the power is there and, you know, the, the ability to develop strength as well, because you've done it from a younger age. I think that kind of muscle memory comes back. And so, yeah, I think it definitely helped. Like people go, oh, how did you get like so good at weightlifting so quickly? I'm like, well, I had a pretty good foundation to build off because, and I was taught weightlifting in a way that's pretty controversial and, and not a way that I would recommend anybody teaches it. But it was basically like, this is a snatch, try it. And because I had that body awareness, I could pretty much put my body where it needed to be with a few tweaks and stuff. So like I said, that's never a way I'd teach someone to weightlift these days. But, you know, when I was doing it, I didn't know I was going to progress to what I did. It was a case of let's just try it and see what happens. And yeah, so... It's certainly had its benefits, I'd say, from gymnastics. Mm. Did you pick up like the actual lifts so to the point where the coaches were, okay, we won't break it down too much originally. You can do the snatch. Now repeat that for 10 years and you'll get really good at it. Was, it, <laughs> was there an element of simplicity like that when you showed so yeah. much promise to it? Yeah, basically it was like my first ever session, it was like, this is a snatch, this is a clean and jerk. And I snatched 30 kilos and I clean and jerk 40 kilos. And by no stretch were they pretty, but they weren't bad. I wish there was videos because it was a day of like before good phone videos. You know, when you have like a BlackBerry or something that can just about take like a spud cam kind of photo, but not really of any con- like <laughs> yeah, three pixels. So I'm kind of sad that that doesn't exist and I don't have footage from that. But yeah, it was then a case of, pretty much stick into the movements but then doing the other stuff around it so like the high pulls and like snatch balance and stuff like that to refine it uh, and like power snatch power clean but pretty much just kept the full movements in because I was able to do them I love getting a throwback these days on Facebook of like me snatching 40 kilos for the first time and I celebrate like I'm an absolute hero so yeah it, it was pretty much straight into like a what you'd call a real weightlifting program in the sense of pulls squats and a variation of the lift of some form per session I mean I was lucky that I was surrounded by not training with but had access to our national team at the time so I was only ever watching good technique and it's that thing that you get whatever you watch you kind of absorb it even if it's kind of subconsciously whereas when people learn weightlifting out of that environment maybe in like a CrossFit gym or a commercial gym they see bad technique so you're gonna gang even though you know it's not right you're probably gonna pick that up a little bit whereas for me I only saw good technique of our national team which definitely helped the process yeah there's so many reports on just being around elite means it kind of raises your expectations so it pushes you more I think there's some stuff on the Inga Britson brothers where three brothers all very good uh distance runners but 
like the second brother was better than the first and then the youngest brother was better than the other two because they kept setting higher standards. So the younger brother would try and chase those higher standards. And it must be kind of similar for you in that environment because you're just seeing great technique, big loads being lifted, you know, best in the country. So you assume, well, that's the level you need to get to to be any good rather than good at a CrossFit gym, like you said, could be considerably lower so it can only really have such a positive effect on you can't it yeah exactly that's definitely it like my first coach basically set me the challenge of I want you to outlift every person on the national team like they're your targets regardless of body weight so you had someone down at 48 kilos which for me I was lifting at the 63 at the time like that was my first thing to tick off and then we go 53 and then like we work our way up kind of through it no one really existed over 63 kilos then in weightlifting like I think we had Tash was lifted at 69, but she was lifting about the same weights as Zoe as a 58. So it was, um, yeah, before women's weightlifting was cool. I mean, I remember I went to my first English and won a medal because there was three people in my weight class. Like that just doesn't happen anymore. So, yeah, it was. Which is good news, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's good to say how the sport has progressed. I think, so I qualified for my first English at my first competition. So I started in September I did my first competition in like the November and you had to do a 90 kilo total at 63 to qualify for the English. So then I qualified for the English in that like January, February time. I think now it's about 150 qualification total. So Mm. to see that progression in standard and it's still competitive at that, like that's a minimum standard and you've still got to be ranked 12, I think it is for the English now. Even if you hit that standard, if you're not in the top 12, you won't go which is madness to see how much it's developed. When was it that you realised, actually, I can lift at the national stage here? I could be really good. I can push for, you know, medals not only at national level, but international level. So my first senior British championships was 2012, which was the final qualifier for the London team to be selected. And I remember being at 63 kilos and lifting against Zoe Smith and Emily Godley, because Zoe didn't bother making weight because she was a 58 at the time, so she just lifted heavier. Emily was pushing for the the second women's spot. Yeah, I came third to those two. You know, there was still a reasonable margin in it, but, like, the weights they're doing, I was like, you know what, I I reckon I can and give them a run for their money. So that was after, like, eight months in the sport, and I came third, British Championships, which was an Olympic qualifying event, and I was like, ah, oh, wouldn't mind trying to go to an Olympics. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of went from there, really. 2013, I had a bit of an injury, but I was then at a point where I was looking at the Commonwealth Games and it was looking more and more achievable and getting myself back into shape for that. And it was probably that 2013 that I was like, this this is actually possible, you know, to, to be challenging for spots on national teams and to be, you know, chasing these girls down, which, I mean, I speak to Zoe about it now and she said to me a couple of years ago, she was like, you made the rest of us better. She was like, you came along and was like, I'm going to compete with these girls because everybody had kind of gone stagnant. And like, if you did 80, 100, you were a good woman in this country. And I came along Mm. and was like, I'm going to beat you all. So then everyone had to raise their game. And it's that thing of like, competition breeds more success. So then there was like three of us in the same weight class at one point, just literally going like a kilo at each other for a good couple of years. And it just, you know, pushed all of us along which then raises the standard across the board and then everyone else wants to be challenging it and 
people avoided that weight class for a long time though they just let the, left the three of us in there just battling it out and most other people just went I'm going somewhere else like either above or below so it was that point 2013 I think that was like okay that that's like we can be competitive and we can be challenging and I think the end of 2012 I won the British juniors which was kind of cool it's my first British title and it was like right okay let's let's really push for this and, and see where we can go and when did you start training for the Olympics when did you get into that cycle of of training so I 2013 I started training for Commonwealth Games in Glasgow which was kind of cool that was like a childhood dream come true to go to a Commonwealth Games granted I never even thought it would be in weightlifting but to put on an England jacket was was pretty special and then it was probably after that, it was like, there was kind of talks about it. And at the time we had Rebecca Tyler, who was an absolute animal. Like that girl was unbelievably naturally strong. She was really young, wasn't she? Yeah, she was really young. So it was kind of like, I was training for Rio, but, and it would have been nice to go, but I never truly believed I had the ability to go because you had Rebecca Tyler and you had Zoe who were both in the mix and ahead of me. And I look at, the environment that I was in and it wasn't conducive people were basically telling me you're not going to be an Olympian just focus on something else which at the time you think you're strong-minded and you can push through it and actually again it comes to that thing of your subconscious if people keep telling you you're only going to be second best in your weight class no matter how strong-minded you are and how much you believe you can kind of override that it does take its toll but yeah so after 2014 Commonwealth Games, I got put onto funding. So then I got access to physio support, UK sport, athlete performance allowance, a few different bits and pieces. I was like, okay, this is this is kind of cool. Like I'm actually like a real athlete now. And, you know, people believe in me and it's pushing me along. But I don't think I truly believed I could be an Olympian at that point until it was too late. So I won the European under-23s at the back end of 2015. And I think it was only at that point that I was like, actually, I'm quite good because you can like, and I used to talk the talk and like kind of shout that I was the best person and this, that and the other. But in some ways, when I reflect on it, it was probably a little bit of imposter syndrome and just kind of overcompensating it. But yeah, so the back end of 2015, it was probably too late to finally believe in myself in terms of Olympic qualification. And then the way it transpired, I mean, I picked up an injury and, and then Zoe got injured at the last qualification event. And if I'd have believed in myself that bit sooner, maybe I could have challenged it on that on that last qualification event. But yeah, it is what it is. It was all part of the process and it would have been nice to go to Rio, but there is no way I would have been as competitive then as I was this time in Tokyo. And if you look at, you know, time in the sport and how it, you know, you look at people say like 10 years or whatever it is before you're kind of competing at that level, you know, Tokyo literally put me at that 10 year mark. So that was my games realistically. Mm, well placed in a way. Yeah. Just at that point. What was the training for Tokyo like? Were there specific things? Now you had the belief in yourself that you could go. Were there specific things in your training you were working on? Like, for example, you needed to get stronger or you wanted to work on certain things technically. Were there, was there like a theme that you were specifically working on during that Olympic cycle, which paid off at the Olympics? Or allowed you to reach that level? I mean, Olympic qualification was a roller coaster for me with a lot of changes in the middle of it. And obviously, like the pandemic was for everyone. But 2019, mm. I had quite a few like life changes and which pros and cons to it. But um, 
I picked up some bad habits over about six months in 2019 because I just wasn't training with a coach. I was training on my own. I had life stuff going on and I was going in the gym and doing my program, but not necessarily thinking about it. So you can follow a program, but if you're not thinking about the technical stuff, you're going to pick up bad habits. And yes, I was getting stronger, but I was also getting worse technically, which meant like, although I'm stronger, it's no use in weightlifting is so technical. So it was then back end of 2019, I moved down to train at Atlas with Dave Sawyer and Cyril Martin. And it was then that I kind of, well, Cyril came up to me with a wooden stick and was like, I get this out with the beginners. What the have you been doing for the last six months? <laughs> I was like, oh no, I'm about to be taken to school here. So yeah, there was a lot of technical stuff to work on um, in terms of getting that strength transfer from like absolute strength into my weightlifting. My biggest thing, like I'm strong from the hang, I'm strong from the blocks, like anything above knee, but from the floor, like my technical areas, I just roll that bar away. And obviously once that bar comes away from your center of mass, unfortunately, science takes its toll and <laughs> gravity takes its toll and there's not much you can do about it. So that's been my my major technical thing to work on since moving to Atlas was to really nail that start. We played around with my start position. You'll notice in Tokyo, I had a more dynamic start just to help keep that bar close at the start. And yeah, just being strong in that position. What do you mean by a more dynamic start for anyone that's still learning sort of technical jargon with weightlifting? So my first point is it's not something I'd ever teach anybody. You know, it's something that I'd only have someone really high end that you've tried everything else and it's not worked. So basically what it is, is I would get myself as if I'm going to go into my start position and I pull my bum down towards my heels to get my back in tighter and then lift it up because then as I'm lifting my hips up, what naturally happens is the bar comes in towards the shins to get that movement upwards. Whereas what I was doing before, if I was just getting into my start position and stay in there, my first movement would be I'd lift my chest and therefore the bar would roll away. And once it's away from your center of mass, it just gets further away. So the thing that I would work on is bringing my hips down, which got my back in tighter. And then as I came up, that bar would naturally come back with me to keep it closer to my center. But yeah, not something I'd recommend. It's something you see quite a lot of the Chinese lifters do because they look like they're really upright in their start position. But actually, as the bar comes off the floor, they are in that, you know, what you call a perfect start position it's just they don't hit it and hold it they just move through that position yeah it's, it sounds like something that you need a good level of or years of practice beforehand before you can start incorporating something different like that because what you describe makes complete sense because physically you'd say like science takes over but yeah in terms of physics that makes complete sense in terms of where the bar is in relation to your center of mass and how you're utilizing your body around it to try and get into a stronger position mm -hmm. so it is really quite interesting to okay we're struggling here all right let's try this new technique beforehand to then help with the next step because it's yeah kind of like what you're alluding to it always seems with weightlifting as soon as you get one of those phases wrong all the phases after that are wrong, uh, are wrong as well. So first pull goes, then transition, second pull, uh, pull as well. So yeah. You, yeah, it's that thing. Like I teach that if your start position is wrong, you're building your house on sand. Like if your start's wrong, the rest of the lift will be wrong. Whereas if you get that start position and the pull to knee right, you can pretty much screw up anything past that point. 
and you're 95% likely to get the lift. Whereas if you don't get that bit right, you're 95% likely to not get the lift. (laughs) So, yeah. Also, your point on intent made quite an impression on me because, yeah, loads of people can do their program to sort of like go through it. But unless you're not working on it with intent, then it's not going to have its maximal effect. And it's quite interesting to see that you describe it as like a, a lack of intent with your training, but it didn't really affect your strength work, but it did affect your technique work. It's quite interesting mm-hmm. to hear just how your approach to a session can influence different development in different ways. Yeah. And it's a funny one. Quite often I do like weightlifting to golf. Like you can go on the driving range and you can hit a hundred balls down the range and they can go off in any sort of direction. Like I hit hundred balls today. But did you actually think about anything technical, where that ball went? Was it where you're aiming for it to go? Like, and were you trying, were you trying to put it there? And it's the same thing in weightlifting. Like you can go in and you can hit reps after reps. And yeah, they might all be successful reps, but did you achieve what you were trying to achieve? And I think that's the difference. And people think they've got to a certain level and therefore don't need to think technically anymore. But like that goes to show with me in the build to Tokyo, like I was still making technical changes. I'm still making technical changes now. Like it is a constant process and you can't just be like, yeah, but it's good and just rely on it because it's human nature. You'll pick up bad habits by just going through the motions and not having conscious practice. Like you always need to have that conscious mind in the gym. And I think that's why my my strength work improved because you can go up and down with a squat and your brain can kind of be anywhere, you know, a bit like bodybuilding training. You can go in and you can still be thinking about your day at work or your personal life and the fact that kids kept you up all night or whatever it is. You can still think about those things while you're doing absolute strength work. But if you're trying to do technical work, in a way, it's quite mindful. Like you have to be present and you have to be thinking about that movement because it's so complex. And if you're not, it'll just go out the window. What's your process when it does go out the window? As in, you when you start seeing bad habits or something starts to break down in your in your technical, what's your process to like start to fix that? Do you break the lift down to really focus on that particular phase of the lift, or is it just keep going through the motions with better intent, or is it just a combination of both? Really, have a tantrum and leave the gym? <laughs> no, it's, if it works it's initially, why not? <laughs> It's probably a combination of both. It's especially at at my level, you know, we'll do some work to break it down. So like for me, like I said, that that start position, that first couple of inches, the bar comes off the floor is is where I struggle the most. So we'll do stuff like pulls to knee. We'll do what we call inch holds. So you literally pull it like a couple of inches off the floor and just hold it there for like 10 seconds. And Cyril makes you count in like weird and wonderful languages as well. And like, (laughs) By the end of it, you're like proper shaking. It's, it's horrendous, but it works. So we'll do stuff like that, you know. I'll, but then I'll also do stuff that I'm good at. So like if I know I'm working from the floor and it's frustrating because you're making the changes, I'll throw in some block work and stuff as well because I like doing it and I'm good at it. And it's about having that thing of giving yourself like a gold star because although you're working on technical stuff and it's frustrating – like giving yourself something that you're going to be successful and positive reinforcement of that. Because if you're constantly doing stuff that you don't enjoy or you're maybe having failures with or whatever it is and you're struggling to get it, you're just going to get frustrated. So it's about having some small wins in there as well as doing the technical work. That sounds like a really nice balance. And I think probably some 
people forget when you're well when you're operating at such an elite level people seem to sort of forget that you still need to have fun and even though you're so focused on developing certain skills and usually you can imagine getting better at a, a very specific skill as being fun still you need yeah. to throw in th- other things in there that are just going to make you feel like you are a good weightlifter if you know what I mean yeah you got to stroke your own ego basically <laughs> yeah exactly that so what are you working on now now you are silver medalists world champs what's what's new for 2022 more of the same realistically in terms of technical like what I need from a technique point of view isn't going to change that much we're looking at the hand skip that I do when I snatch so if you watch one of my snatches from competition I start off out here and then it jumps in my left hand jumps in like a whole hand whip which wouldn't recommend people comment on it on like Instagram they're like would you recommend I try that I'm like no not even a little bit like I'm trying to not do it I just can't help it so we're looking at kind of where that's coming from and kind of trying to focus on it but it's not a main priority like if we can fix it we can fix it but at this point 10 years of weightlifting if it's not fixable like we're just gonna have to find a way to work around it like everyone has a bit of a quirk so we're looking at it we're trying to make it more efficient because essentially I have to pull the bar higher to be able to catch it with an hour of grip so if we can reduce mm. it even a little bit there's a couple of free kilos like in there that we can just take a small win on The other thing is gaining a little bit more body weight. So I moved up from 64 in Tokyo to 71 now, which will be an Olympic class for Paris as well. So I'm trying to get to like 73 kilos to then cut back into 71. I'm not doing a very good job of it. (laughs) Um, So that's one of my main What have you been recommended for that so far? So I've I've got a proper Tracking the calories, lots of calories? Yeah, I've got a nutrition plan and it's got a lot of carbs in it and a lot of what my nutritionist calls like free calories so like go out and eat whatever you want I've had like a sounds glorious (laughs) it does but it's like you just never feel hunger so I'm eating like four meals a day like solid meals and then plus snacks plus intra-training like protein and carbs and then we had an England camp at the weekend and um, my body weight just wasn't going up and my teammate was like right we're going to Mackey's and she's like because she was trying to go up to 76 for Tokyo and I was like force feeding her food the whole time. Like whenever I saw her, I'm like, come on, you've got to gain weight. And now the tables have turned. Now she's retired. And she's like, come on, we're going to Mackey's. And she bought me a McFlurry and a milkshake. So trying to take liquid like calories in now is my goal, just to get the calories in without any real like notice to like food consumption. Because it is hard. Like gaining weight's hard. People are like, you know, it must be great. But you get to a point, you're like, I'm at full capacity. Like I can't put any more food in my stomach. Like it just won't happen. And for me, like I'm quite a like energetic person. So the more food that puts that I put in, the more my neat goes up. So the more I fidget, the more I just move about the house, like whatever else. I then end up like at a net maintenance. So I'm kind of trying to learn to put it in, like put the food in and move less which I'm not very good at especially now I've just got the dogs so now means I've got to put more food in you should get something one of those where the dog pulls you along (laughs) and you're walking the dog because then there's less energy yeah yeah that's the plan (laughs) for anyone that's looking to improve their weightlifting in 2022 it'd be good to get your opinion on what you think the common mistakes are so for example I don't know people going to maxes too often for example are there 
are there any you seeing in like gyms or like on Instagram where you're like, ah, if you want to get really good at weightlifting, you shouldn't be doing that? Yeah, I think the the key thing that, and I mean, I think CrossFit's done phenomenal things for weightlifting. Like the participation in weightlifting is through the roof because of CrossFit. So, but it also comes with its flaws. And part of that is a lot of people learn through CrossFit now in a one hour class. And they try and fit so much into that class, which, I mean, hats off to them to start with because that stuff looks hard. But they don't, they look at the lifts, but they don't look at the assistance work that goes with it. And things like pulls are essential to getting better at weightlifting. Like one of the the biggest technical errors that I see as a coach is people not getting a hip drive. And you need a hip drive in weightlifting. People try and just use their arms. Like there's a reason weightlifters have big bums. And that's because that is where all of the power is generated from to get the bar overhead. So I think that's definitely part of it is the technical is like getting that hip drive and therefore not doing enough pulls to practice that is generally what you see. As we said earlier, start position is key. A lot of people with an incorrect start position, they're back in their heels and then they wonder why they can't get, generate any power out of it. And yeah, I think, like you said, programming, people think if they just keep going to max then they'll get better but all you do is get good at hitting that one number. You might gain like half a kilo or a kilo gradually over time. But if you want to make significant progress on your lifts, you've got to put the reps in the bank. Like it's the reps that make you strong, not just attempting one rep maxes and missing one rep maxes. Like missed lifts don't make you strong. Good lifts make you strong. And that's one thing I say to my clients. I'm like, if you're warming up and it doesn't feel great, I'd rather you stay on a lighter weight and hit successful reps than going heavy and missing all your reps. Don't get me wrong, you'll miss reps in training. If you're not missing reps as you're like getting towards the end of a program and you're being pushed, then the program's probably not pushing you enough. And it's having that balance. Like you don't want to be training so you're so far within your comfort zone that you can just hit the reps all day, every day. Like it's got to challenge you, but within like the right, sort of region because people go oh yeah I went in the gym and did some technical work and I'm like oh what what do you do they're like just the empty bar I'm like anyone can move the empty bar how you want to move it like if you want to make technical improvements you've got to be working around that 70 75 percent for reps sort of minimum 70 percent and I don't think enough people work within that 75 to 85 percent range because that's where you get both the strength and the technical improvements because if the weight isn't challenging enough and like we said earlier about if it's too light if it moves away from your center of gravity you've probably got a strong enough upper body to be able to wrestle it back into place whereas if you're working at that right percentage that 75 80 percent it's going to take you to school if it's not in the right place and you're going to get that feedback of just missing the lift because technically it wasn't right so I think that's definitely part of it is making sure your program is is pushing you like technically enough um, and working on those areas of weakness within those right percentage ranges. Some really good tips there. It seems like try and find that 75 to 85% range and practice reps there. Focus on your start position and focus on not pulling with your arms too much. Exactly. Definitely three key things that I think I've seen uh, learning lifters. I wonder, it'd be good to get your opinion on this, because there's such a huge technical element to the lift, people can fail the lift at a weight that's lower than they perceive they could do. So for example, if they fail a, a squat, for example, it's going to be a real neuro, a, new, a real grind to try and get up and then you fail. So it's a lot more 
neuromuscularly taxing. Whereas a weightlifting, especially when you're learning, because the skill might make you fail, people then go up to that level more often and just get loads of failed reps because, you know, they can. They can throw it up, but they just can't catch it properly, for example, and then they fail. So they keep chasing that because it's not... Chasing it doesn't come with the huge fatigue costs like chasing uh, squatting going to max regularly, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. I think, and that's the problem. And especially when you see people who their absolute strength is already quite high. So you see people who come from maybe like more of a powerlifting or just general strength training background into weightlifting and they've got a big old squat on them or even a big overhead squat. And they're like, I can overhead squat 140 kilos. Why can't I snatch 80? And I'm like, because that overhead squat movement doesn't exist in a snatch. Like at no point are you above your head completely brace yourself and then lower yourself into a snatch like the carryover just isn't there and I think that's what people get frustrated with is like you said they can just keep throwing that weight around because like in terms of strength it's not taxing to them but technically it is and it's that thing of your body is just gonna then pick up more bad habits of missing those reps like that's what your body is gonna just keep doing and it's gonna become a habit whereas working in slightly lighter weight and just nailing that technical is where it's at. I mean, I had to do that, like I said, 2019, when I moved down here, the back end of, like, I wanted to be snatching the 90 kilos and whatever else, and Cyril's got me on 70 kilos doing reps. Like, And at the time, I snatched under kilos. So it just goes to show how important that is. Like, even for me to iron out those bad habits, working at 70, 75 kilos for threes on snatch, like, I had to put my ego to one side and just get the reps in and really kind of pattern that movement to my brain because it had just gone out the window. <laughs> yeah. Reps equals practice. Yeah. Try not even think of it as like high volume training. It's like reps equals practice. Get yeah. good at it. <laughs> Brilliant. Sarah, that was absolutely amazing. You said that you coached. Okay. If anyone wants to get in contact with you regarding coaching or just to see your stuff on social media, how can people uh, find you? So my personal social media is Sarah D underscore GB. And then the business, both Instagram and if you find the website is wisdom for weightlifting. So wisdom and then the number four weightlifting. Um, so that's where I do all my online programming um, available for like seminars at gyms and stuff. And if you want to really geek out on my life, I also have a YouTube channel, which is the Barbell Queen. So you can find me there. There's some behind the scenes footage from from world championships on there as well too which is kind of cool to see what we get up to i guess when we're not on the platform yeah definitely i'll check that out and i'll put all of that information in our show notes so for any listeners that wants to find out more you know head to the progress theory.com we'll put that there as well so sarah thank you so much thank you very much for having me